my message for the next time at Daisy Hill. Uh, what is it? Uh, it's the rest. And re uh, I'm going to use. I'm going to looking into the, uh, this one you did today. <laughs> Anyhow, and have the notes. It's not just rest, but it's two things. It's the rest of the story. That is good. The like rest it? of the story. The rest Paul of the story. Harvey. Be a good Paul Harvey lesson. Yeah. I like it. Right. Okay. Well, well, you can have the notes. You did good. Good. I've got them. I read them. I written them, <laughs> them down. Got them already. Praise, Praise the Lord. Well, have a good. Hey, listen, that's the beauty of early service. You can go to Cracker Barrel and get there first. <laughs> that's all right. I know nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you know, I, yes, and I never get to go to Cracker Barrel early. Yeah, I know. Well, so here's the thing it's really difficult when somebody comes to Bibles this morning, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number four. I don't think my boys were protesting my preaching, but they did march right out the center aisle. They had to come and play for the early service, so they're done with church. They're ready to go home with mom. So I saw some of you laughing at them, heading out, ready to go. Have violins, will travel. <laughs> Hebrews chapter number four is where we are this morning. Really, we will be looking at Christ in his superior promise this morning. He's superior in what he gives to us. What we sang in that last hymn uh, is wonderful in its truth. Ever lift thy face upon me as I work and wait for thee. Resting neath thy smile, Lord Jesus, earth's dark shadows flee. That is what we'll be looking at this morning, the promise that God has given to us. We find it here in Hebrews chapter 4. Now, I must admit, Hebrews 4 is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. I was talking with Edward this morning, and I said, when it's one of your favorite chapters, it's hard to stay focused because you want to preach and talk about everything that you love in the chapter. And I will try to do that today, but keeping it contained to what we want to go through in the outline. Because if you look down... It's a long outline this morning. There's a lot that we need to cover because there's a lot of truth in this chapter. And I think it will be rewarding for us as well this morning. Let's read verse 14, 15, and 16 
as we set to study the whole of Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, this morning as we come to you, I pray that we would find that rest. You promised it to us. You freely give it to us. But it is for us to rest. So often we live in a world that is troubled and toilsome. It weighs upon us. It distracts us. We become enamored with things of this world or we become frightened by them. And the true rest that comes in your presence leaves us. The writer here is giving to us just what Jesus Christ brings to us in the superior nature of that promise that is found in you through him. Bless us, I pray, as we study and learn the truth this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. God promises believers rest. What a joy that is. Christ's person, Christ's purpose, Christ's position from chapters 1, 2, and 3 all allow him to make us an absolute, unwavering promise of rest. Pastor, I don't know if I have rest this morning. Have you seen what the stock market has done this year? I'm not talking about that kind of rest. Pastor, I don't know if I have rest this morning. Have you seen the politics of our age? We live in a divided world, and there's nothing we can do about it. I know, and that's not the rest we're talking about this morning. Pastor, there are wars and rumors of wars that trouble us, especially me as a parent with young children or a grandparent with grandchildren so young. And again, I know, but that is not even the rest that we're talking about. God knows even more than I, as your pastor, do the heaviness that assaults your soul this morning. Your flesh, the world, and the devil all want to steal the true rest that is promised to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God has promised you rest, both now and forever. Look at verse 1 with me then in Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible says, let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. He says we must fear or we will come short of the rest that he intends for us. Rest is the word kataposis here in the original language. Here's what it means. It is the heavenly blessedness in which God himself dwells. We're going to see this morning a note on the sovereignty of God. And may I say to you, control and sovereignty brings the best kind of rest Amen. to the soul. Amen. The promise of that rest comes to the believer who has partaken of Christ. The root word of rest here means to make 
quiet, to cause to be at rest, to grant by authority the place or position of rest. God's promise then to you and I is rest. So the question then is how restful are you this morning? The story is told of two artists who were commissioned to paint a picture of God's peace and being at rest in that peace. The first painter in the commissioning painted an idyllic scene of an ocean still in the pond. Mirroring upon its depth of every line, a curve of a sailboat gently floating by in the breeze. Overhead, the sky was blue. The sky was flecked with light and fluffy, puffy clouds of joy and gladness. On the shore, he depicted two little children playing in the shallows, making sandcastles there. It was a picture of idyllic peace and rest. But is that what God promises us? Perfect temperature, 72 with a gentle breeze, as Edward Owen says heaven is. The second painter, when he was commissioned, took the painting idea and painted something, I think, which is nearer to the truth. That painter depicted a wild and rocky shoreline against which an angry billow was bursting in towering clouds of spray and foam. The sky was black with the storm and the surging waves tossed and heaved. But far up on a rocky crag, hidden in the cleft of the rock and sheltered from the wind, sat a small dove, safe and secure in her nest. Looking out, as the artist painted, with a serene and untroubled eye at all the turmoil going on all about her. Friend, may I submit to you, that is closer to reality for each of us. When we come this morning to look at rest, we're not talking about perfection on an idyllic shore. We're talking about rest in a wearisome world. The writer of Hebrews is here telling us that the person, purpose, and position of Christ bring to us the same promise that he gave throughout all ages to mankind, and that is of rest for those who know him. Every believer in Jesus Christ is promised rest because rest is the very nature of God's being and our being in his presence. We will know that rest for eternity, but it is promised to us here. And now, the writer of Hebrews, in chapter 4, shows us the superior promise of rest found only in Jesus Christ. To understand that rest, he begins by explaining in our notes the conditioned rest that is ours. There is a condition to the rest that we receive, the rest that is ours. Simply put, in these first three verses, we find that rest <coughs> is our choice. Let us, therefore, fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said. And I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although... The works were finished from the foundation of the world. Rest is your choice, my friend. That bird in the second painting could have flown from her nest, fought the storms, and likely exhausted herself and fallen into the sea. But instead, she stayed, stayed safely and contentedly 
in where her rest was found. In God, believers are safe. In the garden, Adam was safe. In the promised land, in obedience, Israel was safe. In Christ, as believers, we have peace and rest that is guaranteed to us Amen. this morning. So we note first in our notes, conditioned rest comes in fear. Now, that may not seem like they fit together. <clears throat> if I fear, I can be at rest. Well, it's the object of our fear. The word fear here is phobio. It means to be terrified, frightened. That does not sound like a good condition of rest, does it? But it's the object of our reverence and respect, of our awe and fear, that opens up to us the reality of God's rest. The Israelites in the wilderness, friend, the object of this particular writing, he's trying to draw the distinction of what life is like in Christ as opposed to what Israel was like under the law. The Israelites in the wilderness, they feared Egypt. They feared starvation. They, starved, uh, they feared dehydration. They feared kingdoms and giants and peoples who occupied the promised land. But the one thing they never truly feared is God. That's what the writer is telling us. He's saying, let us, therefore, fear. Let us place our object of all, our reverence and respect in the right thing, and that is God and God alone. If our respect and reverence is towards him, if our fear is of him, we will not ever be out of a condition of rest. God graciously and powerfully delivered Israel from Egypt and physical needs and would drive out their enemies before them literally in the, in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, with hornets. But they never stopped and respected or, and reverenced him. The writer says that we are no different. We casually take our salvation and think of everything else that life brings, except for the God who brought us that life. And we find here that it is our responsibility in entering into that rest. The condition of entering it is that we must remember who God is and who we are. And where our trust comes from. Rest comes when we learn to fear the almighty God who provided our rest. We should fear, the writer is saying, missing out on the full measure of blessing and rest that God has planned for us. That should be something that concerns you. I am uneasy. I am not at rest. That should tell you that you're not in a right relationship with Almighty God. That's right. Rest comes in his presence. Right. And so he says, let us therefore fear. Rest comes in fear, then letter B, rest comes by faith, verse number two. Faith <coughs> was a missing element for the Israelites in the wilderness. Listen to what Joshua and Caleb reported of the land in Numbers chapter 14. They are trying to instill faith in them, and they spake unto all the company of Israel. The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. Pause for one moment. If we were saying this of the promised life we have in Jesus Christ, I could say to you as one who is at rest in Jesus Christ, it is a good and exceeding life. Would you not want to live it? Trying to instill faith in them. If the Lord 
Lord delight in us, or since the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred on us. We are going to eat them up, literally is what they're saying. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not, rather fear God. Can I tell you something? No matter how loud I get, Or how fast I talk, or how slow I talk. I cannot instill faith in you. If you are not at rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know him this morning as your Savior, then that is upon you. You have chosen not to enter into his rest. You rather are living in the fear of man, or fear of circumstances, fear of conditions in your life. You are not entering by your own will into the rest that he has you, that he has designed for you. Rest was theirs for the taking, but they lacked the faith to take it. For the believer, rest is promised us in Christ. All we must do is believe God and live within that rest. And finally, let us see that rest is foundational. For we which have believed do enter into that rest. There's the faith that's exercised. The proper reverence for who God is, the proper action taken, the faith placed, the trust given. And then he makes an interesting statement because he says the same thing back in chapter number 3. He says it as part of the parenthetical statement in verse 11. As we looked at the position of Christ last week, he swore in his wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. That is a true statement and a quote of Psalm 95. But here we see him say in verse number 3, as I have sworn in my wrath... If they shall enter in my, into my rest. In other words, what we find, in the foundational truth of our conditioned rest, is that you can either live in God's rest or God's wrath. Right. Which would you rather live in? You say, Pastor, when you say it like that, it's pretty easy to pick. I, I know, but why don't you say it like that to yourself every day? Hebrews chapter 4 is a life-changing chapter, if you can understand it, for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Of course, I would rather live in God's rest. It is the foundation for success in the Christian life. Amen. Being at rest, being content, being satisfied, being at peace with God's presence in your life and God's purpose working out through your life. Hold your place here and turn back to Psalm 37. I, I want to point a couple things out. I'll put a few of the verses up in just a moment, but... Turn back to Psalm 37. It's a wonderful psalm of rest. In the first seven verses, it gives us a recipe with four ingredients of how we can enter into that rest. In verse number one, he says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. In verse number three, he says, trust in the Lord and do good. In verse number four, he says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. In verse number five, he says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. It is then and only then that we can read verse number seven that says, rest in the Lord. <coughs> not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. We have a statement in the modern age, especially when it comes to buying and selling stocks, it seems. 
FOMO. Anybody know what FOMO stands for? Fear of missing out. Sometimes we have it when it's our children. <laughs> if Johnny doesn't play this sport, I fear he'll miss out on everything. If Susie doesn't do this activity, I'm afraid she will miss out. May I say to you, if you live by the FOMO principle, you are in trouble. He says right here, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. In other words, if you and I are going to learn to rest, we're going to fret not, we're going to trust in the Lord, we're going to delight in the Lord, and we're going to commit our ways to him. When we do that, we can relax. Amen. Now the rest of the verses here in Psalm 37 unfold between the wicked ones who are trying to steal our rest and how God will bless those who remain in his rest. But David closes the psalm in verse 39 and 40 by saying this, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. In other words, it's not of your doing. You didn't do anything to get it. We're going to talk a lot about that here in Hebrews 4. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because why? They trust in him. Rest, friend, is foundational to living a healthy, holy, and I would argue happy Christian life. In fear and by faith, we can have rest that is essential for us in this present world. Amen. Having set the condition for rest here in chapter 4, the writer moves next to a series of building examples of what God's rest is intended to be and how he has intended it Throughout the ages of mankind. We begin number two with creation rest. With creation rest. Back here in Hebrews chapter number four. We read these verses in verses four and five. For he spake in a certain place on the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter in my rest. Our rest is found in God's work. Starting with his creative work, but I would argue, as we'll see later in his redemptive work, our, our rest is found in him. God never gets worked up over evil or wickedness or divisiveness. Oh, I know we run around and say that. Pastor, have you seen what's going on? Oh, God in heaven must be wringing his hands. He must be angry. And the answer is, God's always hated sin, yes. But it hasn't moved him from his rest. It should not move us from our rest. But our country's falling apart. That grieves my soul. But it doesn't change my rest. Amen. Right. Hebrews 4 helps us in every time of need, in every one of our troubles that we come to. Creation rest in verse number 4 and letter A in our outline is bound to him, to his sovereignty. It's bound to him. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh, of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. God said of himself, I have rested from my work. He is tying rest to him and his work. God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but rather because he wanted to teach us a truth. Right. That truth was that you and I, too, can rest in his completed work. Right. Rest, therefore, is bound to God, for he is the inventor of it. Creation rest is bound to his sovereignty, but in between verses 4 and 5, I'm very careful to preach this way. 
I don't like reading between lines in the Bible. I like reading the lines of the word of God. But we do find this word at the beginning of verse 8. And in this place again, this place again is in the Old Testament law or in the Old Testament writings. And that's the place that he's talking about particularly. We find that creation rest was letter B, broken by sin. It was bound to him and his sovereignty, but it was broken by our sinfulness. The first thing that Adam lost in the fall was rest. Now, please understand this morning. I am not talking about the word rest in the sense that I just sit back and say, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm talking about contented rest, joy in what God is doing, even sometimes in the most difficult things. Adam's loss was of rest. Work would now cause him to sweat, the Bible tells us. Before the fall, work with God in the garden was restful work without sweat. What an amazing thought. You can go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47, or 44, excuse me, and read a wonderful story of the priests who served God who sweat and those priests who serve God in linen cloth who do not sweat. Those have entered into his rest. Work would now cause Adam to sweat. It would be toilsome because he left God's created rest. He knew good and didn't do it. Just as James said, him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it was sin. He took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He knew good, and now he knew what evil meant and what it brought. It brought a state away from God that was unfamiliar and uncertain and confusing and worrisome and <laughs> wearisome. And it was a place he didn't want to be, but he could never go back to that rest, mm -hmm. except for God would offer. Sure. Sin meant confusion and worry about his life then and his future. We often leave the rest that we have in Jesus Christ and worry about our life now and our future. But God is in control. Before sin, Adam never worried about that day because he knew that God was in it with him. He never worried about the next day because he knew God would be in it with him. That was the loss of sin. We lost the heavenly blessedness of God's continual presence. Remember, that's how we define rest. When the writer here in Hebrews says, and in this place again, he is saying that we can in that place of rest again be found. We can find ourselves there again. Sin broke the relationship, and after salvation, sin will break our fellowship. If you're saved this morning and you're not at rest in Christ, it's because there's a sin between you and your God. Right. Don't believe me? Go read 1 John chapters 1 and 2. If we have fellowship with darkness, we are calling him a liar. The only resolution to that is to confess our sins. For when we confess our sins, 1 John and 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will grant us access back into his rest. Not salvation again. You can't lose that. Back into that condition of rest. Contentment. We find that creation rest is bound to God's sovereignty. It's broken by sin. And at the end of verse number five, he says, if they shall enter into my rest, it is a benefit, let us see, to be sought. God wants us back into that place of rest. So the question is this morning, do you want to be back in that place again? 
Because of sin, man must seek that rest. Our choices create turmoil. Our trust and obedience brings rest. You can seek the rest that God has promised you. That's a joy for us this morning. It is something desirable. It is an unbiblical thought to believe that God intended for your life to be chaos and turmoil. That is not to say that there will not be chaotic and tumultuous times in each of our lives. But he doesn't want you to live in the turmoil. He wants you to live in rest and in peace. Pastor, you don't know what's happening to me. In many instances, I do not know the extent of turmoil in your personal life. But God does. And it doesn't change the promise that comes in Jesus Christ of rest. Because he created that rest for us to enjoy. The conditioned rest and the intended creation rest is next seen in verses 6, 7, 8 in Canaan rest. Canaan rest. In verse number 6, the Bible says, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, now let's pause here. This Jesus, as we'll examine in just a moment, is not Jesus Christ. It's Joshua. How do I know that? Because in verse number 8, we're going to find that this Jesus, Joshua, was not able to give a complete rest. Jesus Christ always gives complete rest. Right. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? Canaan rest is designed by God for humanity. What God designed in creation rest will never go in vain. It will not return to him void. It will accomplish its purpose. He will have those who will by choice enter into his rest. That's why he says in verse 6, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein. God chose Abraham then Israel and his children to enjoy the promise of God's rest. The writer gives us here three generations of Canaan. He literally gives us the whole history of Israel in three verses. At least as it applies to their rest in Canaan towards God. First, we find Moses' generation forfeited it in verse number six. Israel's rest was to be in the land which flowed with milk and honey, we read in Numbers 14. The land of Canaan, promised to Abraham, then to Isaac, then Jacob, Israel, and his 12 sons, was that land of promise, blessing, and rest. In Exodus, God freed Israel from bondage. He led them through the waters of separation in the, the Red Sea and out and into the wilderness. It was there in the wilderness that the first generation of freed Israelites chose to forfeit God's rest. God wanted them to immediately or continually move towards that state of rest in the promised land, living in his blessing and in obedience. And yet we find they came to the wilderness of Zin. Some translations call it the wilderness of sin, and appropriately so, where sin began to break the fellowship with God. The intended initial readers of Hebrews, this book, knew this story well, for it was their national story. The writer of Hebrews wanted them to understand that a believer can forfeit the rest God promises as well in this new life as they did in that new land. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Moses' generation forfeited God's planned rest in Canaan. And I wonder how many Christians today have trusted Jesus Christ but have just chosen to say, I don't care about obedience. I don't care about following God, and so therefore I don't care about his rest at all. What a terrible thing to forfeit. The peace and contentment of Almighty God. Secondly, we find Joshua's generation faltered in Canaan. Now, I'm going to skip verse 7, not because it's out of order. It's in God's divine instructed order. But for our learning and understanding as Canaan rests, we must understand who this Joshua, Jesus, is. We will come back to verse 7, I promise. The proper name Jesus here is not Jesus Christ, but rather Joshua. Jesus and Joshua are the same name, one in the Greek, the other in the Hebrew. Both forms mean the Lord is salvation. The writer's point in giving this to the Hebrews who would have known his name is that Joshua and his generation faltered at eradicating the enemy from the promised land. And by the way, as believers in Jesus Christ, if we falter in eradicating our flesh from the new life we have in Jesus Christ, we too will falter in our rest that we have in Christ. John Phillips, in his commentary, does a succinct job of pointing out the faltering of Joshua, the second-generation leader of Israel in the Exodus. He writes in his commentary, Joshua made three serious strategic blunders. He failed to gain control of the coastline and left the western borders of the land in the hands of the Philistines and the Phoenicians. He made a disastrous covenant with the Gibeonites. And after two magnificent campaigns in the north and the south, in which he utterly smashed the Canaanite coalition, he failed to complete the mop-up operation and left a potentially dangerous residue of foes unslain. From these military errors resulted most of Israel's subsequent woes during the dark and apostate days of the judges. Friends, if you in your Christian life if you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ do not fully eradicate, Paul says mortify the deeds of the flesh. If you do not kill off your flesh every single day, you are no different than Joshua and the Israelites who entered into that rest but then left some things there that could rob that rest. Who could steal it away? Who could take it from them? And yet we find Christian after Christian after Christian who will say, I don't know why I let these things conquer me. And the answer is because you're not willing to kill them. You're not willing to get rid of them. You're not really willing to take it out of your life. Canaan rest was God's plan for Israel, but Israel was their own worst enemy. They refused to do the necessary work to allow for God's rest to be realized in their lives. And I wonder how many Christians in this room do the same thing. Moses' generation forfeited rest. Joshua's generation faltered at the cusp of rest. And there in verse number 7, we read this. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. David's generation flirted with it. They were so close. We know the story of David. David found rest ever so briefly. His predecessor, King Saul, did not obey in killing off the Amalekites, and it cost him. 
David obeyed and eliminated his enemies within the land. Sadly, we find that he sinned with Bathsheba, and from that point forward, you never read of another recorded victory in the life of David. And so while he was right there, and victory was his, rest was real, he fell back into a sin. And we read that Solomon, what happened before Solomon? Solomon becomes king, and he's the wisest man that ever lived. He begins with a ball of fire. There seems to be a rest and trust in the wisdom of Almighty God. But the Bible tells us that Solomon's end was corrupted because the women in his life turned his heart away from the Lord. Israel never found rest fully or for long in the promised land. It was limited to a very short period. That's why he says he limited it to a certain day. It was a very brief window. Oh, how instructive and illuminating Israel is and was for how the believers in Christ forfeit, falter, and flirt with rest, but never truly remain in it. God wants his people to have rest. He has promised it to us. It is conditioned rest. It is seen in creation rest. It is intended in Canaan rest. Next, we find where it really comes from for us, and that is Calvary's rest. Verses 9 and following read this way. And if you don't have verse 9 underlined in your Bible, you should. When every other hope dies out, this verse won't. There remaineth, therefore, a rest for the people of God. That is a promise. No matter how hard the devil and the world and our flesh try to extinguish the rest that comes in the presence of Almighty God, there always remains rest for the people of God. For he, that's you and I, that has entered into his, that's Jesus Christ, rest, verse 10, he, that's you and I, also hath ceased from he, or his, our own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The example of unbelief is what he just gave in verses 6, 7, and 8. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, even in dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, verse 12. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked or exposed and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There is hope, though every generation seems to mess up God's rest. This, in verses 9 through 13, is our rest this morning. This is the distinction the writer of Hebrews is trying to make for the reader of Hebrews in their day. The Jewish reader was trying to figure out, do I stay in my Judaism and also accept Christ? Or have I accepted Christ and do I go back to my Judaism? And he's writing and saying, Canaan rest was temporary. Christ rest is eternal. Great news this is for each of us. No matter how much you have messed up, there's always hope to finding God's rest once again. By the way, Christ is the one who provides the rest. In case we were not going to get it later in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, he would say this in verse number 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. He rested at the right hand of God, his father. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Let me stop and say for a second. It's an amazing rest that you can have as God when you know you're just sitting down and biding the time until all your enemies are made your footstool. That's quite a rest. Mm -hmm. 
What a joyful place it is. Goes on in verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Amen. That's you and I. We are perfected forever by his offering. Note, please, then, that Calvary rest letter A is not by your works. Now, if you've been careful this morning, you see that I'm just walking through the Bible verses. The Bible always preaches itself. Woe to the man who ever tries to make the Bible say something. Just preach the Bible as it speaks. Right. Verse 10 is a little complicated. When we read it, we see it says, For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. The only thing that is confusing is the first his in that verse. For he, that's you and I, that has entered into his, Christ, rest, he, you and I, have ceased from our own works, is what he's saying here. Well, where do we find the truth of this? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What amazing rest that God has designed for those who have trusted in Christ. Amen. There is no amount of work you must do. You do not need to help carry your burden for Calvary. You do not need to do any work. It reminds you of the old story of the missionary in the 50s and 60s. He had gotten a truck there in the tribes of Africa. And he was driving one day from one tribe to the next tribe. And as he was driving from one tribe to the next tribe, he passed a native tribesman who was carrying a heavy pack upon his back from one village to the next. He stopped and he said, fellow, did you like, would you like to jump in and ride with me? And the tribesman said, absolutely, sure, no problem. Instead of getting into the front seat, however, the man climbed into the back of the truck and stood in the bed of the truck as the driver drove away. The missionary pulls out, and after a mile or two, he looked in the rearview mirror, and he saw the tribesman still standing, holding his pack upon his back in the bed of the truck. So the missionary pulled over, and he stopped, and he said, man, what are you doing? The tribesman, in all of his naivety, answered the missionary and said, I appreciate the ride, but I wasn't certain your vehicle could carry both me and my pack. And we laugh at that. But we would kind of think that's silly. That's exactly what we do when we come to Christ and try to enter his rest. I will do it myself. You're no different than that tribesman standing foolishly in the back of that truck with your pack on your back. The truck can carry both of us. Salvation can certainly do all that is necessary. You do not need to do any work. John in chapter 19 records the word of Jesus Christ from the cross. And he cried, it is He did not say, you finish it. He said, it is finished. Calvary rest does not depend upon your work. It is found in Christ and his finished work. But read verse number 11 and you will get a moment where you say, what? We just said it's not by your work. And then we read this at the beginning of verse 11. Let us labor, therefore. Wait a second. 
I'm going to write this down in the 5,000 contradictions in the Bible book that I read last week from the bookstore. <laughs> it's not a contradiction to read. The word labor carries the idea of diligence and attention. It is through our watchfulness in verse number 11. Let us give our full attention to enter into Calvary rest. If the work is done, then we have to pay very careful attention to what we need to do to receive that rest. If it's nothing that I can earn, then man, I better pay full attention. I better be watching and figure out exactly what it is that accesses that rest to my life or brings that rest to my life. God wants us to rest. He has promised us rest. So why don't we have it then? And the answer is because many of us are not looking for it. We're not seeking it. We're not concerned with where it is and how it's found. So the writer tells us to diligently watch for that rest. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The example of unbelief was those in the wilderness that would not by faith trust in the rest that God promised. Letter C we find in these verses are very purposely placed here. The Calvary rest is from God's word. There is no other source that you have to trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins than this book. You can't trust my story about it. Well, history will tell us about that. Yes, but history doesn't tell the story in its purpose. Only this book, only God's word tells us that. By the way, how do we then, within that Calvary rest, live the fullness of our life? And again, it is by this book. For the word of God is quick. He has just told us not to fall after the same example of unbelief. So in faith, we come to the word of God, trusting in that Calvary rest that Christ brings to us. For the word of God is quick, it's alive and powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That is how we think and how we feel. The joints and the marrow, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What purpose does God's word play in our rest? And the answer is everything. It is our guide to what rest is. The answer is found in the fact that it divides between what we know and what we feel. If our feelings are controlling us rather than faith in God's revealed word, if our feelings are controlling us, our life will never be one of rest in Jesus Christ. But if this book is guiding and controlling every part of our life, we will be at rest even when everything around us is chaotic. And there are chaotic events that have happened to many homes in our church through my 14 years of pastoring. But it's always back to this book. It's always coming back and saying, okay, I, I get the feeling. Sometimes it's even hard for Jessica and I when we come to those times because we might have our own feelings. But it's the word of God that is our guide and our guard for our daily life. Why it says in verse number 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. All things are naked. That is exposed to him. And opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Do you know whom we have to do? It's Jesus Christ. He was our creator. Colossians 1 tells us that. Hebrews chapter 1 has told us that. But he's also our redeemer. Amen. Right. And it is with him 
that we have to do as we live out this life. Rest comes when we settle into a trust in God's word. Living by the living word is the recipe for true rest for the follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one with whom we have to do, and therefore great comfort, great peace, great joy, and true rest comes to the one who allows the Bible to guide and guard their every choice. It is not haphazardly placed in there because it's a neat little place to tuck in a, a passage of scripture that tells us how important the Bible is. The Bible is important for you to live a restful life. Mm -hmm. If you don't live by the book, you're going to live in God's wrath because you're constantly going to be sinning. God has promised us rest. It is a conditioned rest established by creation rest, intended as Canaan rest, and it comes through Calvary rest. It brings us finally to complete rest. The passages we read for our text to open this morning teach us of complete rest. One could argue that verse 14 actually opens up the thoughts that come in chapter number 5. For our purposes, we'll keep verses 14, 15, and 16 in chapter 4 so that we can understand the complete rest we have in Jesus Christ alone. The writer concludes that complete rest comes, letter A, from Christ's person. Now, if you're a listening person, you probably just figured out the next two points. The first three messages of the series were his person, his purpose, and his position. How do you claim his promise and live fully in that rest? And it's by the first three. The writer tells us in verse number 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest. In other words, he's speaking to his personhood. That is passed into the heavens. He is physically in heaven today. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. This is the third time since the beginning of chapter 3 that he's told us that we must hold fast what we believe. It is instrumental. It is essential for you to have rest, holding on to what you believe. Trusting in Christ's person is that which we hold fast to, knowing that he is God and that he knows us as our God provides rest to our worried and wearied souls in this world. Complete rest in Christ comes secondly, letter B, from Christ's purpose in verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as like as we are, yet without sin. He's saying effectively here, because Christ was who he was, and because Christ did what he did, his purpose accomplished in chapter 2, we can rest in his promises. Rest in him. He became flesh. His life was truly a human life. He was at all points tempted like as we are, yet he chose not to sin. It's not that Jesus was incapable of sinning. He chose in his flesh not to sin. That's a deep theological point that you must understand. Jesus Christ was tempted, just like you and I are tempted. But every time he said, no, no, no. You want to rest in Christ, that's the kind of spirit that you must have. He never missed the mark. The word harmakia is an old battle term. Uh, the Romans would have known it. The Greeks would have known it. Sin, harmakia, means to miss the mark. The archer would pull the bow, and he would aim downrange aiming at the enemy and let it fly. And if he missed his target, the spotter would yell, Harmatia! He missed it. The Bible says that he never missed the mark in any of his righteous actions. 
Complete rest comes from his person and from his purpose, but then obviously number three is from his position. In verse number 16, let us, therefore, come boldly under the throne of grace. Where is Christ positioned presently? The right hand of his Father. We studied that last week. Christ is positioned in the heavenlies. He's the apostle and the high priest of our profession. Chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us. He's the builder of the house of faith. Verses 2 through 6 in chapter 3 tell us. We understand that because of where he is, where he's positioned presently, you and I can come boldly into the throne room of grace. No one could come into God's presence until Jesus Christ came in the flesh, died, and rose again. Right. But you and I can. We have a rest that the Canaan rest doesn't even understand. We have a rest that Adam and creation rest could not understand. But in Calvary rest, it is a complete rest. Because of his person, his purpose, and his position. God has promised you rest this morning as we close our thoughts. Because he has. You can't fake it. If your life is constant turmoil and there is no coming to Christ and trusting and leaning wholly upon him, if your life is chaos and it is swallowing under, you are like that dove in the early picture and you've flown from your safety. May I suggest to you, return quickly to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. You cannot know rest. Until in fear of who he is and what you are a sinner, you come by faith to the foundational principle that rest is only found in him. Right. Under those conditions and those conditions only, this year. Amen. You're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior. May I extend to you the rest that I was given. Many, many years ago, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I can tell you that as a pastor and as a person living my whole life, there have been times where I have been far from God's rest. I've never lost my salvation, but because of sin in my own life, I have lost that fellowship with him. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning and you don't have fellowship with him, I encourage you to pray. Seek forgiveness. Ask God to restore unto you the joy of your salvation. That's what rest is. Mm -hmm. Father, help us, I pray.